name is Rebecca, and today's Bible reading is from the Old Testament in the book of Isaiah, chapter 25, verses 1 to 9, and that's found on page 572 in the Bibles. So that's Isaiah, chapter 25, verses 1 to 9. So as you know, we've been reading the Old Testament, um, and Isaiah's message of judgment against foreign nations has broadened out to a warning that the Lord is going to devastate the whole earth. But But at the same time, there is a wonderful promise of salvation for those who trust God, and even a solution to death itself. So going back to the book of Isaiah, chapter 25, verses 1 to 9, page 572. Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you and praise your name. For in perfect faithfulness you have done wonderful things, things planned long ago. You have made the city a heap of rubble, the fortified town a ruin, the foreigner's stronghold a city no more. It will never be rebuilt. Therefore, strong peoples will honour you. Cities of ruthless nations will revere you. You have been a refuge for the poor, a refuge for the needy in their distress, a shelter from the storm and a shade from the heat. For the breath of the ruthless is like a storm driving against a wall and like the heat of the desert. You silence the uproar of foreigners as heat is reduced by the shadow of a cloud. So the song of the ruthless is stilled. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all people, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. In that day they will say, Surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. Thanks. Good morning. My name is Marie. And today's second reading comes from Acts chapter 8, verses 1 to 17, which is on page 889 of your Bibles. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, Impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Now for some time a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, 
and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come in any of them, come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. It's fine. It's all right. <laughs> it's quite all right. Uh, keep your Bible open there. Um, or if you closed your Bible, it was on page 889. Page 889. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, you could stick your hand up and someone will bring it to you. Um, and I'm going to pray before we look at it together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word that it brings us life and understanding and hope. Uh, and we pray that you'd calm our minds, help us to... Um, to put aside the distractions of the week and to come before your word expecting that you will speak to us and use your word powerfully in our lives. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's also a, uh, an outline that might help inside the info sheet if you want to follow along with where we're going. Human beings are really good at breaking barriers we love breaking barriers don't we we like finding a frontier that has not been broken before and smashing it don't we in 1954 there was a barrier broken that people thought was impossible to break anyone remember know what it might have been 1954 correct there are a couple of mumblings that might have been that but there it was in a clear voice the four minute mile uh, to know whether whether anyone could run a whole mile in under four minutes. Do you know, before that, they'd done scientific studies showing that it's impossible for the human body to run a mile in faster than four minutes. It was impossible until Roger Bannister did it. And then suddenly it wasn't impossible again, and all these other people broke the four-minute mile as well. And so they said, well, that barrier was actually in our heads more than anything. We love breaking barriers we we broke the sound barrier in in the 60s we broke the space barrier we put people on the moon this is incredible and yet sometimes we human beings break barriers and you find yourself wondering oh should we have broken that barrier is that the right barrier to break uh, last year our whole country was caught up in this massive debate over one barrier, which is the barrier between two people of the same sex getting married. In the end, as a country, we broke that barrier. And the question many people are asking is, 
was that a barrier we should have been broken that that we should have broken or not acts chapter 8 is all about the barrier breaking gospel uh, the message of the lord jesus the message that jesus christ is the lord and the king who died, rose from the dead, he's ruling and reigning, and he's coming back as the judge and the king and the saviour. This news breaks through all kinds of social barriers. And as we look at this passage today, I'd like you, especially if you're a follower of Jesus, I'd like you to ask yourself this question. Is there a group of people or even a particular person who you know, who you think the gospel of Jesus couldn't reach. They're just too far gone. Or is there a group of people or a particular person who you think the gospel of the Lord Jesus shouldn't reach? That is, you struggle with the idea that these people might come to Jesus and be included with us. These are the questions that Acts chapter 8 are answering for us and want us to ask. Now, the start of the passage, Peter looked at this last week, so I'm not going to spend much time uh, on the beginning, but the start of the passage, really everything looks like it's going horribly wrong for this little early church movement. That The most dynamic preacher, one of their amazing miracle workers, Stephen, has just been brutally executed by the religious leaders. And uh, Luke tells us there in verse 1 that this kicks off a great persecution of the church and then in verse 3 we meet this young ruthless uh, fanatic basically called Saul so verse 3 verse 3 says but Saul began to destroy the church going from house to house he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison uh, I want to make sure we feel the terror here okay sometimes we think we face persecution here in Australia for being Christians, this is nothing. Okay, what, what the early Christians were facing here was really very similar to what so many hundreds of thousands of Iraqi and Syrian Christians have faced at the hands of the Islamic State. It really is the same kind of thing. That's what Saul is doing to them. And, and these early Christians, how do they respond exactly the same way as I gather more than 100,000 of our Iraqi brothers and sisters responded they ran for their lives. They left everything in fear because they didn't want to die and they didn't want to be thrown in prison. You have to wonder uh, what, what they were screaming out to God as they ran for their lives, don't you? And yet, where did they end up? We saw this last week, but look at the second half of verse 1. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Hang on, hang on. You remember back in chapter 1, verse 8, what was it Jesus said to his apostles, these special witnesses? Chapter 1, verse 8, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. These persecuted Christians end up by complete coincidence and chance okay it's not coincidence right uh they end up scattered all throughout judea and samaria and when they're there what are they doing verse 4 those who'd been scattered preached the word 
wherever they went. Remember, these aren't professional preachers. This is everybody except the apostles. These are just ordinary, scared Christians wondering what's going to happen. And But as they go around, when they meet people, wherever they end up traveling, they tell them about Jesus, who's the Lord, who died and rose. He's risen and ruling. He's coming back as the king and the savior and the judge. Tertullian, who uh, was a church leader about 150 years after Acts, uh, very famously said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. That is, all throughout history, when Christians have been persecuted and scattered and even killed, that hasn't weakened the church. It's the opposite. That's how the church has grown, because when that's happened, they keep on speaking about Jesus. And actually, that's what happens all through Acts. There are these little reminders through this passage that that's what these Christians did. Whenever they traveled around places, they spoke everywhere they went. Verse 20, 25 tells us that Peter and John, traveling through Samaria, they spoke about Jesus in all the towns. Uh, Philip later on, as he's traveling from from places with weird names, as Azotus is at verse 40, Azotus to Caesarea, he was preaching the Gospels in all the towns. This, this is what early Christian tourists did. Okay, that was, I was thinking about this actually as Peter and I are, you know, I was thinking about my trip with Peter and after I got past the, oh my goodness, what have I done? Uh, and, and we're thinking about our itinerary, right? So I'm planning our itinerary and thinking about this passage at the same time and I thought, you know what, we need a new itinerary. This is what our itinerary should be. 15th of June, Sydney to Heathrow to Tel Aviv. How many hours on the plane? See if we can find someone to talk to about Jesus. Uh, 16th of June, taxi to the hotel. See if we can speak to the taxi driver about Jesus. 17th, museum. Surely there's someone we can tell in the museum about Jesus. Uh, there's our new itinerary. It's a bit scary, but um, why don't you ask us how we went when we get back in three weeks? How do we go with that new itinerary? Because uh, that's what Christian travelers, tourists should do, isn't it? So much, Christian, so much tourism is self-centered. Um, pray that we won't be like that. Well, the rest uh, of the chapter deals with a question uh, which then arises from all of this and which is going to be a massive concern all through the book of Acts. See, these Christians, as they scattered, started telling all kinds of weird groups of people about Jesus. And so the question arose, hang on, hang on, hang on. Do these outsiders, these weird groups, do they qualify to, to hear about Jesus and to turn to him and to, like, to become part of the church? Like seriously, these weird groups, can they really become part of the church? Now, you've got to remember that at this time, so soon after Jesus, all of the Christians were Jews. Uh, they were Jewish people who had believed in Jesus, the Messiah. And the Old Testament Jewish law set up all kinds of barriers for who could be part of God's people. And for these early Christian Jews... The Samaritans in their minds, because they end up in Samaria as the first place, the Samaritans are on the wrong side of the barrier. Okay, the, the Samaritans like them, they, they were sort of part related. Okay, the Samaritans like them, uh, they're, they're like Queenslanders. Okay, 
Sorry, they're not. I have nothing against Queenslanders. State of origin couldn't resist. But uh, you know, they're, they're much worse than Queenslanders. Okay, the the, the Samaritans were like um, sort of half Jews, but that made it even worse. So they were rela- racially mixed, but they also had this weird, corrupted, mixed-up religion, where they only accepted a few books of the Old Testament and they rejected the rest. And their beliefs were mixed up with other strange things. So really, the Jews thought of Samaritans a bit like Christians think of, it's the best example I could come up with, Mormons. Okay, so this is like a whole country of Mormons. And what that meant for the early Jewish Christians is that they wouldn't have been at all sure about Samaritans becoming followers of Jesus. If you'd asked the apostles at this point... Look, can Samaritans become Christians too? They would have gone, oh, yeah, hang on, let let us get back to you on that one. And as you read about the Samaritans in this passage, you realize that these people are a long, long way away from believing in the true God. They're a long way away. They're, They're mixed up with magic and sorcery, black magic, things like this, which the Old Testament law said they should be put to death for. That's how far away they were. They were basically trapped in the power of Satan himself. And they were trapped in this passage mainly through a guy called Simon, who we meet in verse 9. So have a look at verse 9. It says, Now for some time a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. Simon Simon was the rock star of Samaria. He's the wonder worker and everybody is his fan. Everyone's his groupie. They just can't get enough of him because he does all these amazing things through through his powerful magic and, and witchcraft. And so the people almost put him up on a level with God. That's how amazing the things were that he did. But one day along comes a rival to Simon a Christian man called Philip. Uh, Now, Philip was someone we actually met at the start of chapter 6. He's not an apostle. Uh, He's one of these Christians who's who's fled, presumably. But in chapter 6, he was one of the guys who was was asked to help look after the widows in the Christian community. And so we're told that Simon arrives in Samaria, but he also starts doing amazing miracles. Have a look at uh, verse 6. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. It's like a rival miracle man has arrived. But there are two big differences between Philip and Simon. Uh, the first difference is actually that Philip's miracles are more amazing. Okay, Luke doesn't tell us how, what, what, why exactly they were more amazing. I don't think he's that interested in all the details, to be honest. But what we do know is that by the end, in verse 13, Simon, who has amazed everybody for years, in verse 13 is amazed at what he's seeing Philip doing. He, he becomes Philip's new groupie, right? He's hanging on to him, following him around, because he's just, he can't believe what he's doing. But the second big difference is more important to Luke. See, what were Simon's miracles all about? 
Well, have a look at the end of verse 9. He boasted that he was someone great. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. Simon was full of himself. He, he just wanted people to see how great and powerful and amazing he was. His miracles were all about him and his own power. Well, what about Philip? What was Philip full of? What was he all about? Well, I skipped over verse 5 before. Have a look at verse 5. What does Philip do when he gets to Samaria? Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. Surprise, surprise. Philip did miracles in Samaria, or actually Jesus did miracles through Philip in Samaria. But what Philip was doing was telling people the message about Jesus. You see that again down in verse 12. Okay, people had followed Simon because of his amazing miracles. Have a look at verse 12. But when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. See, here's the difference. Simon talked about himself. Philip talked about Jesus. Simon was interested in being great and powerful. Philip was interested in telling everybody how great and powerful Jesus is. Simon wanted people to follow him. Philip wanted people to follow Jesus. So what do we learn from uh, the first bit of this episode in Samaria? Uh, well, basically, there's, there's two things. The first thing we learn is negative. What we see here is that miracles aren't necessarily good and from God. Okay, that's the first thing. Simon does miracles, but that doesn't prove that he's on about the truth. And Jesus gave us that warning, actually, in Matthew 24. He said that false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders, so as if possible to deceive even the elect. So Jesus does do miraculous things sometimes, but we mustn't stop using our wisdom and thinking clearly just because we hear about or see someone doing miraculous things. That's the first thing. But the second thing we learn here is that the good news of Jesus is powerfully good news. It's powerfully good news. It has the power to set people free from darkness, from the power of Satan, from slavery. And in some places and in some times, Jesus chooses to show that by outward signs of miraculous power, by physically freeing people from evil spirits, from sickness, from suffering, showing that his, he is so much more powerful than black magic and sorcery and anything. But, you know, the true power of Jesus isn't in those things. It's in the message about him. That's the most powerful thing. The true power is in Jesus turning hearts of people to God, even when they were a million miles away. These, these Samaritans were enslaved in all kinds of crazy stuff, crazy beliefs. They hear about Jesus, and that message has the power to bring them to know God and to turn to him. Well, that's the last we hear about Philip in Samaria. His job's done there. It seems he goes off somewhere else now. But the next thing that happens in verses 14 to 17 is truly 
bizarre. Okay, have a look with me. Uh, listen again to verses 14 to 17. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. What on earth is going on here? What's this about? Why does, why does this happen? And why does it happen this way? Uh, first of all, let me just clarify what this is not about. Okay, what it's not saying. This is not saying that the 12 apostles had a special power to give the Holy Spirit that ordinary Christians didn't have. Uh, well, so that's the kind of thinking that Simon had. And in other parts of Acts, the Spirit comes on people without the apostles. Uh, this, is, this is God's gift. It's not a special power of the apostles. Secondly, it's not saying that for some reason the Samaritans were baptized wrong the first time. Okay, it doesn't actually say that they don't rebaptize them. There's nothing wrong with their they were baptized in the name of Jesus. And thirdly, and this is perhaps the most important one, this passage is not saying that there are two different experiences that you can have as a Christian. First of all, you believe in Jesus and you're forgiven. And then later on, if you're lucky, you can have this full-on experience of being baptized by the Holy Spirit. This is not, that's not what the Bible teaches. Okay, in fact, every other time that the Spirit is mentioned as coming on people in the book of Acts and in the New Testament, it's when they become Christians. It's part of becoming a Christian. Okay, it's all part of the same package. When you believe in Jesus, you are forgiven. You're adopted by God as his child. You receive eternal life and God gives you the, the, the great gift of his presence, his spirit with you. This is the only time where people trust in Jesus and then later on they receive the spirit. This is the exception. So uh, what's going on here? We need to come back to barriers. Okay, it's all about barriers. Remember... For these early Christians who were Jews, all of the people who become Christians were Jews and had become Christians through the teaching of the apostles. They're the special ones Jesus has sent out to turn people to him. And at this point in Acts, nobody was quite sure if this sort of thing was going to be legit. What's going to happen if Samaritans believe this message? Like, are they really going to be part of us? Are they really included in this message of salvation? And so the reason Jesus chooses this time and only this time to delay the special gift of the Spirit is so that everybody would know for sure there is no difference between these Samaritans who've turned to Jesus and the people back in Acts chapter 2, the Jewish people who heard Peter, Peter preaching, and turned to Jesus and were saved. They're part of the same group. They've received the same Spirit of God, and it's been confirmed by the same apostles. Okay, so the reason this happens here is so that they know and that we know that everybody who turns to Jesus, no matter how far away they seemed, even if yesterday they were involved in black magic and voodoo, uh, or they were the head of the local drug cartel, or they were the head of the local mosque or the Masonic Lodge or the local Atheist Society. Whatever they were yesterday, 
if they turn to Jesus today, they're part of God's people. For real. For real. Well, there is another little story about barriers that we're going to finish with in a moment. That, the story about Samaria could finish there, but it doesn't. There's a little twist in the tale of the chapter of Simon's story. We're not going to look at it in detail, but in verses 18 to 24, we discover that Simon sounded like a good news story, right? He believed in Jesus and was baptized. We discover there's something that's gone wrong, and his conversion to Jesus wasn't genuine. And the thing that shows us that is that he was still dazzled by power. He was still dazzled by power, not about the message of Jesus. See, he saw the apostles apparently exercising this amazing spiritual power that he didn't have. They can bring God's spirit on people. And he goes, I want that. In fact, I want it so bad. How much do you want? How much? Come on. Everyone's got a price. How much do you want for it? Do you see what's, what's going He's just completely misunderstood it, hasn't he? These apostles aren't magic wonder workers. They're like Philip. They're on about people hearing about the Lord Jesus, trusting in him, turning him as their Lord, and being saved. See, Simon has fallen into that trap that I talked about a couple of weeks ago. Uh, remember when we talked about miracles as signs in the Bible? Uh, and remember we talked about how signs don't, point to themselves a sign is to point to something else remember and so sorry it's only black and white this week but you know that Simon's fallen into this trap of seeing the sign of miracles and going wow it's a miracle and just getting obsessed in this loop about miracles we saw that miracles are not signs pointing to themselves miracles are signs pointing you to Jesus okay that's what a miracle is about it's a sign to point us to who Jesus is so that we turn to him and trust him. And so in the end, Simon's a very sad case and he's a warning to us. Luke does this. He, he kind of scatters these warnings to those of us who are Christians. And he says, even inside the church, even when Jesus chooses to do amazing, miraculous things, don't fall into the trap of being dazzled by spiritual power. Don't fall into the trap of wanting spiritual power as your big desire. Because that's, that's the question we've got to ask ourselves in the end. What, what am I obsessed about? What is it that I most want? Is it that I want people to be amazed and blown away by miraculous things where they see us harnessing the Spirit's power? Or am I obsessed about people hearing about Jesus so that they turn to him and are forgiven and receive eternal life? Well, let's get to the final little story uh, in the chapter. We're not going to look at this uh, in detail. The last bit is really a preview of what's coming up uh, later on. But again, this is all about the barrier-breaking gospel of Jesus. Okay, so remember that the Samaritans were like corrupted half-Jews, sort of half in, half out. And... Even the apostles weren't sure until they saw the Spirit come down on them whether Samaritans could really become Christians. But in the last bit of the chapter, God guides Philip to a person who the apostles would have been absolutely sure shouldn't become a Christian. 
It's, uh, it's actually quite funny how it happens. Um, God sends Philip on this mission, but he doesn't tell him what's coming. He doesn't tell him anything. He just says next step. So first of all, in verse 26, he goes, Hey, uh, Philip, go to the desert road uh, between Jerusalem and Gaza. Doesn't say anything else. You can imagine Philip thinking, uh, Lord, can I ask why? There's no one there. It's the desert road. Just go. Okay. Uh, and when he gets there, who does he see? Oh, there's one guy. It's an Ethiopian eunuch riding in a chariot, an African eunuch. This guy was actually a powerful official from what for Philip would have been the furthest country away that he could think of, um, right, down in Africa. Now, for the Jews, there is absolutely no way that this guy could have been included in God's people and had access to God. We're told in verse 27, he's returning from having gone to Jerusalem to worship. But, you know, that would, that would have been a really sad trip for him because everywhere he went, barriers. No, no, you, you can't come in here. This is for true insiders who've been accepted by God. And see, on, on two counts at least, this man could not come close to God. There were two big barriers. First of all, he was a Gentile. He wasn't from God's chosen people, the Jews. And as if that wasn't bad, uh, he was a eunuch. That is, he's physically castrated. And the Old Testament specifically said that any man who was castrated could not be part of God's assembly, of God's people. They couldn't come to God because they were defiled and impure. So this guy is a complete outsider. He, he simply can't be part of God's people. So... When Philip sees him there, you can imagine, again, he's probably thinking, Lord, why would you send me here? I can only see this guy. And so, verse 29, what does the Spirit say? Uh, it says, the Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Okay, I guess I need some exercise. So Philip running along next to the chariot, and when he gets there, he hears this guy reading the Bible out loud. I'm guessing that's not what he was expecting. Right, And not only is he reading the Bible, he's reading Isaiah chapter 53, which we're going to look at later in the year. It is the clearest passage in the whole Old Testament talking about the one who would come to die for the sins of his people to save them. Right, That's, that's what the guy happens to be reading more, more, reading, more coincidences, right? I'm guessing at this point Philip works it out. Oh, I get it, Lord. You want me to talk to him? And so Philip just says to him, do you understand what you're reading? The guy goes, nope, hop up. So Philip hops up and verse 35, it says, Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. It, it doesn't happen, well, I don't think it happens often to me. But, you know, sometimes God does actually lead us very specifically to a person who wants to know about Jesus and is just ready. I, I don't know about you, but I personally think I'm pretty lousy at taking the hint sometimes. Um, you know, I think about the times I've been on the train and you sit somewhere reading, the, you see someone sitting there reading their Bible, right? It just doesn't occur to me to do what Philip did. Sit down next to them and say, excuse me, sorry to interrupt, but do you understand what you're reading? Do you, do you want any help knowing what the Bible's about? doesn't really occur to me, but that's what Philip does, isn't it? That's what Philip does. And the eunuch is immediately ready to believe. 
But the most important thing that happens, okay, the most important verse is verse 36. Have a look at verse 36. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. Who can stand in the way of my being baptized? This is the big question. This guy who his whole life, he's been on the wrong side of the barrier. He's been outside. He's not included. He can't draw near. He can't. Here's his question. Is it that way with Jesus? Yes, I believe in Jesus. Is there any barrier? Is there anything stopping me being part of Jesus' people? You know how Philip answers him? He baptizes him on the spot. That's it. Baptism was the way of going, yeah, you, you want to you wanna associate yourself with Jesus? You want to be part of Jesus? This is it. Let's dunk you. And he baptizes him because the answer is there is no barrier. Now, like I said, this, this passage is actually a preview. This question is going to come up in much more detail because the apostles don't see this. Okay, it's not like Samaria where they get to go and see and see the Spirit come and it's confirmed. That's all going to come later. For the moment, it's just Philip. But you know what this shows? Philip was way ahead of the apostles, wasn't he? He, he hears the question, is there any barrier? And he goes, no, let's baptize you. You're in. Friends, this is very, very, very good news. Because if this man, who was from the wrong place, the wrong nationality, who was mutilated and defiled and impure and permanently shut out from God and his people under the old rules, if this man could be accepted by Jesus, it means there are no barriers to being fully and completely accepted by God as his child loved and forgiven. And there's no barrier to being part of this group of people who are fully and perfectly loved and accepted by God. See, the, the Samaritans showed us that there's no group of people who are so deceived and misled and in the darkness that the gospel can't penetrate. And then this guy shows us that there is nobody who is so bad and unclean and on the outside that we've got to keep them out. So if you're not really sure, if you haven't been really sure until today, what, but could, would God really accept me? I mean, these guys don't know my, who I am. Here's your answer. Heaven's door is wide open because of Jesus. Heaven's door is wide open because of Jesus. And the only thing you need to do is put your trust in him. Give him your life. That's it. And for those of us who are Christians, I want to come back to that, uh, those questions from the start. Is, is there some person or group in your life or around you who, who you think, honestly, I can never see them becoming Christians? I just can't see it happen. They, they just seem too closed and hardened and in darkness and enslaved. Or is there some person or group who, in your heart of hearts, you don't want the gospel to reach? You think the gospel shouldn't reach them? Is there some group who you'd think, yeah, if that person said tomorrow that they believe in Jesus, well, I don't know that I'd want to baptize them because that means they're fully part of us. Just uh, think about that for a little bit. Is there some group in terms of people because of their religion? Uh, Muslims, I've actually spoken to some of you years ago um, who struggle with that thought. 
of Muslims becoming Christians? Uh, or is it because of their lifestyle? Someone who until yesterday was living uh, again, lesbian lifestyle or uh, in a life of drugs and crime. Is there some barrier in your heart which Jesus has torn down to people turning to him? And if so, uh, repent of that, turn away from it. Because the only barrier is whether people trust in Jesus, that's it. The only barrier is whether people trust in Jesus. We were all, it's so easy to forget, we weren't, we weren't insiders. We were all so, so, so far away. But God, out of his great love, brought us near. And so let's commit ourselves to speaking wherever we go about Jesus, to being talkative tourists wherever we go, and to not putting up any barriers that Jesus has torn down. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you that even though we were once far, far off through the blood of your Son who died in our place, we've been brought near even though we deserved none of it. And Father, we do acknowledge that sometimes ugly thoughts come into our hearts and minds because we see people who seem to us violent or far away and we can want to put up barriers in our hearts. Father, please forgive us and please fill us with love for the people around us and fill us with courage and confidence to speak to them about Jesus. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. We're going to sing.